All right, good morning, everyone. Okay, the good news is I remember my glasses, All right? So praise God for that. That's the step of progress, right? And uh, fighting the decline, all right? And uh, secondly, did like 32 degrees ever feel so good? Right? That's my first thought when I stepped out this morning. I was like, wow, thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day. Well, we want to welcome you if you are visiting with us here at the chapel today. Uh, we have a welcome desk out front where you can uh, check in with us if you would like to do that. If you want to ask the pastors or any of the elder uh, team people any questions, there's a card there where you can make contact with us. If you have questions about your walk with the Lord and you want help with that or you're seeking to understand the gospel more clearly, we would love the opportunity to uh, talk with you about that. And we also want to let you know that we do have a cafe out here where you can enjoy some fellowship and uh, hopefully get to know some folks from the chapel a little bit better. Uh, in two weeks, we have our annual church administration meeting after the service. And there is a copy of our church budget, proposed budget out there for you. Feel free to take that. And if you have any questions on that, you can either contact Tim Dorier or one of the uh, chapel elders. So Tim, can you just raise your hand? So Tim is our church treasurer. So if you have any questions about that, he's probably got the most insight into it. And then any one of us on the pastoral or elder team can help you with that. Okay. Uh, there's a young adult gathering here tonight. That's for those that are 18 through age 30. That's from six to nine. And then the teens meet here on Wednesday night for our teen fellowship. Would love to have your young people come out for that uh, time. I want to read for you from uh, Psalm 139, a uh, really beautiful passage of scripture. Before I do that, I want to just share one particular prayer request uh, that it came out on email, but if you're not on our email list, uh, Rocco and Rachel Kira have a little boy who's six months old. Uh, his name is Gino. And uh, Gino has what they call hip, I think I'm saying this right, hip dysplasia. And so they're going to be doing surgery. He needs to be in a cast uh, type device for three months, for a six month old. You can just kind of imagine the difficulty of that. So I just want to especially mention that. If you get a chance just to reach out to Rocco or Rachel, let them know you're praying for them. But we certainly wanted to do that in this setting uh, so that we're all aware of that. And that, that surgery is on February 13th, okay? So uh, please be keeping that in mind. I want to ask you to stand with me as I read the Word of God for us this morning and then go into our season of prayer. Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before it is on my lips, O oh Lord. You go before me. And you follow me. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? You're in front of me and behind me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great to understand. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning we are grateful that you are ahead of us and behind us. That means you have every aspect of our life covered, and you're never surprised. So, Lord, we rest in your comfort as our God Almighty. 
We bring our request to you because we are needy people. And we acknowledge that this morning, Lord, even as we come. And we thank you that in the midst of our need, that you, your, your capacities to respond to our needs are abundant. They're infinite. Thank you for your love for us that is so undeserved and yet desperately needed. As we come before you this morning, we lift up uh, little baby Gino. And we lift up his parents, Rocco and Rachel. Lord, these are difficult circumstances for parents. And we trust that you will be behind them and in front of them. You know everything about the emotions that go with this situation. You know every aspect of the struggle. And we lift them up before you, uh, God asking that for mom and dad there would be great strength, surprising strength and peace. And for little baby Gino, God, we ask that this... Uh, your hand of healing, God, would go before the surgery and that it would follow the surgery and that all that is done that is good, uh, we would give great thanks to you, Lord. So we ask for your healing hand to rest on this little boy's life. We pray for uh, Carol Sutherland, one of our uh, senior citizens in our church who has been going through a difficult season. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that there would be comfort for her and peace for her. We pray for Gary Hoyt as he has been battling through this cancer and uh, is in need of just a strengthening of his immune system so that he can be back in fellowship uh, each week and then on Sundays with us here as a church. We also lift up our sweet sister, Diana Kelly, God. A long road she's been on. You've blessed her with favor and youthfulness. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would continue to use her life to glorify and exalt your name and Lord, this week, for, for whatever reason on my heart was just this thought that you would bring healing to her body, if that would be in your will and your pleasure. God, we ask for that work. I pray for the special needs that are represented by those standing before me. Lord, there are always burdens uh, that are unspoken, and we're just mindful of that as we bow before you this morning. And we ask that you would work, God, in very beautiful ways to glorify and exalt your name in each of our lives and in our community and in our world. We praise you. And as we join in song this morning, Lord, we want your name to be lifted high. So glorify yourself and help us as we sing your praises. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him.
thank you that each of us is standing or sitting, um, but breathing without even have to, having to think about it. Thank you for just the amazing bodies that you've given us. Thank you for the crisp winter air that we have outside and your consistency with winter and spring and summer and fall. Lord, you're a great God and we love you. And we just ask that you'll be with us, speak to our hearts, help our hearts to be tender, help us to be moldable clay as your word is being preached. Not hard pieces that are stubborn. Help us to be soft and pliable in your hands, ready to listen and ready to change if we need to change something. And I just pray that you'll bless Pastor Doug as he preaches now in your name. Monahan and uh, her husband Andrew is home watching the kids, so he can't be with us. But Hannah has prepared something that she wanted to share with us as a church family this morning. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Good morning. We're going to put a picture up real quick of the baby. Dear Chapel family, First and foremost, it is difficult to put into words how incredibly blessed we feel by you all lifting our family up in love, support, and especially prayer. It's easy to share the joyful news, especially on social media, but now it's time to share some difficult news. After a week, uh, a week after delivery, I was sent to the ER by my doctor for high blood pressure and preeclampsia. While waiting to be admitted, I received a phone call from the pediatric doctor letting me know that all three babies tested positive for cystic fibrosis on their newborn screening. <clears throat> I felt helpless in that moment and, and felt stuck in that cold, bleak room, just a floor below my precious newborns and with the rest of my family at home. After a good cry and many prayers and worship, I started to feel an overwhelming sense of peace and hope. Jeremiah 29:11 has a brand new meaning to me now, and we will teach our trio to hold tight to these words of promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Mabel, Eden, and Ender are doing very well and have and continue to receive incredible care. Their progress overall has been very encouraging, although Ender seems to be riding a slow train home. The girls are overachievers, and we are very hopeful to bring them home soon. Ender has been struggling and needs extra prayers, please. We have no dates for when they come home. It's always an unknown in the NICU, but especially more so with the cystic fibrosis diagnosis. They have started getting enzymes before every feeding to help break down the food so they can absorb the nutrients, which, will, which we will have to continue to give them any time they eat from now on. It is bizarre to me, but the enzymes they are getting has to be mixed with applesauce, so our five-week-olds have already tried solids. We have a lot to learn, but we are confident that God still has his strong yet gentle hand holding us up one day at a time. Thank you for your continued prayers. We love you all. Amen. 
So as Anna, Anna sent this to me yesterday, and as I read that yesterday, I'll be honest with you, the part that stood out to me the most was this sentence. After a good cry and many prayers and worship. I have a friend in this church, uh, Willie Seitz. So I don't know if I see Willie right now, but Willie has told me you, you fight through your struggles in Christ through worship. You remember who God is. And I think a lot of times we drift into fear and complaint rather than into trust and worship. And I, I hope you pick that up. And the reason we wanted to share this and have Hannah come up, and uh, I didn't know until just now she was going to read it, but the reason we wanted to do that is so that as you guys go through your week, you're mindful, having seen Hannah, having seen the picture of the children, to be more prayerful than we have been, right? Uh, and for Gino to be more prayerful because we're mentioning those things as a church family. So would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer just to honor his presence? God, sometimes uh, we do have the question, why, running through our minds. And we know that the answer to that question is only resolved by worship in your presence. Where there is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore that sustain us on this road in this life today. So we, we lift up uh, mom and dad uh, first this morning. God, they need, wow, they need such strong support and encouragement. And we trust that you, by your righteous right hand, almighty right hand, will be providing that for our friends. Uh, rich blessings, Lord. We lift up these three little ones. God, you are a God of miracles. It's not beyond you to bring these children through and out of this struggle. And so we would boldly and simply say, God, we trust you to do a miracle. And Lord, if in your sovereign hand this is the life that you have for them, we trust you. And we know that you will give all that is needed to meet the need that is present right here today. As the Lord, show yourself strong. Show yourself faithful to this family and help us as a church family to pray and to do the things that you would put on our hearts to do, to, uh, to do our part, whatever that may be. Lord, I'm not even sure how that looks at this point, but we, we, we just rest in your righteous right hand this morning. And I take Anna, I take Andrew, and I place them in your hand. God, free your care and your love. And these three little ones, God, none of this was unknown to you. None of it, because you formed them in their mother's womb. And so, God, use the lives of these little children. Use this entire circumstance to grow your people and to glorify your name. And, God, to make us people that worship faithfully. We pray for these blessings in the beautiful and glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right, we love you guys. Good morning. Hannah, I want to just thank you for sharing with us so we can be praying for you and also for pointing me back to Christ. It was just uh, it was wonderful. Um, thank you. And we will, we are, we commit to pray for you and your family.
And your mom and dad and brothers and the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, okay, the whole thing. So thank you. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're coming to the end of our series, actually. Um, just, uh, just a couple verses, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. One of, uh, one of my responsibilities um, teaching in an educational institution and teachers here, uh, how many teachers do we have? You've taught in the past, you're teaching now, um, public school, private school, whatever. Yeah, we have, we have a lot, so, so I'm, I'm, among, I'm among good company. But one of the things that, that I'm tasked with these days is we're creating a whole series of online courses. And there's a whole template that you have to go through and you have to make sure you, you, know, you raise interest in the beginning and you know, there's a learn section and apply, all this kind of stuff. But one of the things that's like really important, and, and this is just kind of educational theory, it's really helpful, is you always want to ask the students each week at the end, like, so what's your biggest takeaway? You know, what's the bottom line that you learned this week? And you hope that what the student puts down and what you were intending as a teacher, that there's a level of correlation between the two. Not always the case, but at least, at least that's the hope. When we come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer wants us to know the bottom line, or the big takeaway. Like, if you can't remember other things along the way, don't forget this, okay? And, and it comes in chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. Just real quick by way of reminder, here is, for, for me, kind of a simple way to think your way through the book. Um, there is this introduction in the third person at the very beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes where you almost feel like there's a narrator outside of the teacher saying, hey, there was this teacher who taught, okay? And then you have a thesis statement, all is vanity, and then you have the teaching of the teacher for most of the book. You have it repeated again. Tim mentioned it last week. You have repeated, repeated again. All is vanity. And then again, at the very end of the book, it's like you have this narrator who stands outside of the, uh, of the story itself saying, let me tell you a little bit about what you just read about the teacher. And if you forget everything else, don't forget this. Okay? So that's kind of how the, 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 the book is structured. And, and, and again, just... By way of review, which one? Yeah, this one here. When he uses the word empty, it's, it's literally the word breath, okay, in the Hebrew. He can use it at least three different ways. And so sometimes you can see there on your screen, sometimes what he says is life is futile. And what he, what he, what he ultimately gets at with that is life apart from God has no significance, Okay, and he, he leads us to that. He doesn't start exactly start there, but he, he leads us to that. The other thing is when he uses the term "life is fleeting," and don't don't you know that? I mean, the older you get, the faster life seems to go. I mean, I can't believe most of my life is behind me. An awful lot of my life is behind me, and and that just it does, but it just seems like yesterday I got married. 
And now that goes back over three and a half decades. What? Like, life just moves. And lastly, he tells us life is a puzzle. There's mysteries. Hannah and Andy, it's a mystery. It may not be the way we want something at a particular point, and we say, God, why this? Why now? Right? I mean, don't we all have those? And so there's times when life itself is just puzzling. And it doesn't mean the writer will lead us to, say, to, to understand it's not like it's just happenstance. It's all under the watch care of God. He will lead us to that. But life is empty. So if you try to live it apart from God, no meaning. It's gone really quick. And at the end of the day, um, just remember, you'll never be able to figure it all out. Okay? And with that in mind, we come to this actual section itself. Let's see if I get this here. There we go. There we go. Chapter 12, verses 9, 9 through 14. Here's the good news. It's only a couple verses, so shouldn't take me. The bad news is it doesn't take much for me to go on and on. So I'll try to, I'll try to, be, try to be good about that uh, in, in our process. He's basically going to do two things. In verses 9 to 12, he's going to call us in our hearts to see the value of embracing wisdom. Okay, and he's going to do that in a variety of ways. He's going to say, look, living by wisdom is a really, really, really good thing. And then in verses 13 and 14, he's going to say, okay, if you embrace wisdom, this is what you need to do. So pretty simple. It's really valuable, builds the foundation, and then this is what you should do in response, okay? So first of all, he talks about the importance of embracing wisdom, and he says this, embrace the superior quality of God's wisdom over all other forms of human thought. Look, I know, um, back at the Bible college where I teach, um, I, I will often, when I go in for chapel, they, this young people are, have to be in chapel three days a week, and, um, and there's this faculty section where you, I can sit as a faculty member, but I don't like to sit there. I like to sit amongst the kids, and I like to specifically sit in the back and kind of watch everything. And it, it amazes me sometimes just to watch young people and what they do during chapel messages. <laughs> But for some of them, it is so much fun to go onto their, their, their phone and show their friend this picture of, like, you know, and I watch that, and I, and I can't help but thinking, maybe it's my age, but I keep thinking to myself, who cares? Who cares about that TikTok? I mean, who, who cares about that other little picture? But, you know, some people are thinking this is like the most important thing right now. And this text is crying out and saying, look, it doesn't mean you can't have fun with things that God gives us and so on and so forth. But man, don't miss the bottom line. Don't forget what is most foundational. So one of these days I'm going to tap them on the back, but I haven't done it. You know, I'm trying to be a nice guy and say, excuse me, but do you mind? God's word is being preached right now. 
You know, I, I haven't done it, and I probably never will. But I'm tempted sometimes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Listen to what he says. In verses, let me, let me read verses 9 and 10 to you. And what he's going to do is he's going to talk about what we've learned from the book itself first. And then he's going to broaden out to just talk about God's wisdom that comes in all, through a whole bunch of wise sages that we see in Scripture, etc. So he starts narrow and kind of broadens out. That's what he says in verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. So what does he say about this teacher? He says, based upon his careful preparation, the teacher's words were true and wise. Now, I just want to explain something here. Um, I was talking, we were talking right before the service. I was talking with a brother in Christ here. And, and just, just again, talking about like, Ecclesiastes is not the easiest book to preach through. Right? Have you fed that too? I mean, there's things you're reading here and you go like, hmm, I wonder what's going on there couple things to keep in mind, because the writer here at the end says, you know what you've read in this book? This stuff is important. It matters. And I want you to think about something, because one of the things that, that I found, I, I guess it's the thing that, that sometimes makes me feel the most uncomfortable, is, it's, is, is he's speaking so much about life under the sun. And I constantly want to call out and say, hey, buddy, there's eternity. You know, Jesus resurrected. You know, I, like, I just have that impulse when I read this book sometimes. And one of the things we have to recognize in the Old Testament, you have truth, but God is often giving us that truth in light of tangible things we can see and experience. So many of the promises that came to Israel were physical. A physical descendants, a physical land. There's so much bound up in those kinds of things. And so as he talks about being under the sun, he's often doing it from that earthly physicality aspect. Do you see? Now, he makes all kinds of forays to there's more coming. But it's fuzzy. And what happens in the Old Testament, what is often fuzzy with an arrow pointing in a certain direction, becomes much more clear when you come to the New Testament. But what is true is as God is bringing his word to us and leading us ultimately to Christ, that the stuff he is giving us is reliable for us. And so the writer says, I've given you a lot of good things. And I went back this week and I just read through the whole book of Ecclesiastes again. And, and I just jotted down, what were some of the lessons that we've heard and learned? And, and these are just some. You, 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 could, you could add a lot here. And, and as I'm reading them, ask yourself which ones where you kind of go like, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I, pff, man, do I ever need that one? Or, or something like that. Here's a couple of them, and I won't list all the verses. I got a bunch of verses too, but God's, way in, God's ways in our, in our lives are often a mystery. That includes injustice that we see around us. Have you ever felt that? It's woven all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. 
Human life is frail and fleeting. Woven all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and often, the things you do don't seem to endure in the next generation. When the next guy comes in for that job to replace you, they take all your good ideas and they come up with their own. We kind of know that, right? Regardless, God is to be feared because he is sovereignly in control and will ultimately be just. So, live humbly and wisely in a world filled with uncertainties and foolish structures because God is sovereign. Life apart from God is always empty. In the process, enjoy God's good gifts and be content with what he gives you as a good gift from him. And don't forget to walk with others. Don't walk alone. They're just a couple. But, But those are woven all the way through. And so when he comes to the end, he says, the teacher has carefully weighed what he was going to say. He structured it a certain way. He pondered and he thought. In other words, it wasn't like like one day the guy just sat down and said like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And the, no, 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 no. The whole thing is crafted. And it's crafted in such a way that it weaves together and he'll repeat themes after again and again. And he'll often start in a way that sounds more like despair and lead you to a vertical relationship with God. Yeah, he's thought it all through. So if you feel uneasy, part of what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is, keep reading. This is all gone somewhere. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's thought about all that. And he says, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah, that'll, and yeah, that'll work. Perfect. In such a way that when you come to the end, you've learned so much more about God. He says also, I frame it in such a way that it's delightful. What I love, don't, don't you love the fact that your Bible... Um, doesn't start in Genesis 1-1 and go all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. And like, the whole thing is nothing but a series of commands. Could you imagine that? Genesis 1-1. Make sure you do this. Flip over to Exodus. Do that too. You go over this, but Nehemiah. Do, 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 do. New Testament all the way. You go like, man, you know what I love about the scripture? God gives us so many different literary forms to grab us. If you like poetry, he's got poetry. If you like prophecy, he's got prophecy. You know, if you like story, he's got story. If you like a whole series of rules, he's got that too. He's got all that stuff. And he just kind of weaves it all together. And the writer here says, look, when I wrote, not only was there logic and clarity in what I was writing, purpose, but I wanted to do it with some artistry. I mean, think about Tim preached last week. Think about how he explains old age. You know, he doesn't say like, hey, you get old, your eyes start going. You're not as stable as you normally are. You sit around a little bit more. Yeah, you know, 
could have done something like that. No, no, no. He paints this picture with windows and birds and you know what I mean? I mean, so you're just entering into this really interesting story and you're, yeah, and in the midst of it, you're going like, oh yeah, the grasshopper, the dragon grasshopper. And, and all the way through, you're going like dragging its leg, you know, and, and, and by the time you get done, you go like, hey, that's old age. Yeah. You, you see, he's grabbing you with imagery. He's using repetition, a time to, a time to, a time to. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff through the book. And so it's like this final narrator looking back over what Solomon has done says, you know what? The teacher's words are true. As you look at the progress of Scripture, it's what you need. And it's framed in such a way that it's interesting. So you'll latch on to it. But it's not just the book of Ecclesiastes. It goes much broader to all of God's wisdom. Look what he goes on to say here uh, in verses 11 and 12. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making of many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. It's a teenager's, one of a, a teenager's favorite text when it comes to having to go to school. Mom, Dad, Solomon says it. You know, reading a lot of books wearies the soul. I don't want to be weary, you know. It only works for a little bit, okay. But, but you see what he's doing? He's moving from the, te the, the book of Ecclesiastes itself, and he's broadening it out. He's saying, I, I want you to think, because the one shepherd that he talks about here, I think he's talking about God. I think you could make that a capital S. Because so often in the Old Testament, God is called the shepherd of his people. But here's something really interesting. The expression, one shepherd, best I can tell, is only used three times in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. Here, and twice in the book of Ezekiel. And both of those times, it's referring to the coming Messiah King. Which shouldn't surprise us, because when you get to John chapter 10, and Jesus is speaking, he says, I am the one shepherd. So, so is it talking about God or a messianic figure ultimate? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's all going to end up with Jesus when it's all said and done. But I think he's talking here about Yahweh, and he's saying, look, everything that we find from God, all of his wisdom that comes in a whole variety of ways, it comes and you can rely on it, and it's true. He calls it, he says it's like a goad, and it's like a nail. Um, I'm not a farmer. I'm not the son of a farmer. And none of my kids are farmers. But in antiquity, it wasn't all unusual when you would have cattle or oxen, and they would start to kind of wander out of the way. You know what you would do? You would have this pointy instrument, and you'd like... You know, like, it's going to, you know, you're just, you're goading it, right? You're, 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 you're kind of like, trying to get it to go the right way. You know, that's one of the things that scripture does for us, what wisdom does for us. 
I'm kind of like wandering where I shouldn't be going. Have you had this experience? I mean, in your life, before God, you're just kind of mindless and thoughtless. And God has this way through his word of coming in like, Wah! and it's, it's, it's conviction, isn't it? And it wakes us up. And he says, the beauty of wisdom, you read these stories and you begin to say to yourself, that's me. I've tried to, to, to climb that ladder of success and I'm about halfway up and I find out it's not leaning against any wall. There's no wall there, period. What am I doing? And God in his good grace goads us. He wakens us up. He alerts us. He convicts us. So we go, stop. Get off of here and get focused. But his wisdom, it's not just a goad which convicts you. It's a nail which gives you security. Growing up, we did a lot of camping. Um, so we had a big family and we couldn't afford much else, but we could go camping a couple times because you just go to a state, state camp and do your thing. So I loved camping. Did it quite a bit as a young child. But I remember one day after we had been away for a week, my dad came back home and he said, hey, I'm just going to set the tent up out back because um, it had been wet and we wanted to kind of dry out. So it, it, it was those, those old canvas tents, you know what I mean? They get wet and mildew and all that stuff. So set the whole thing up, and because we were only going to have it up for like a day, no biggie, we didn't nail it down. You see, I just let it sit there. Wouldn't you know it? We had a major storm, windstorm, come blowing through that night, and... Our tent was picked up and just gone, taken, just destroyed, completely destroyed. I mean, I was sad. Man, I was a young boy thinking, there goes my summer, you know. I mean, it was, just, I mean, it was traumatic for me. I, you know, it's funny what you remember. I remember that. I remember going out back and going like, the tent's gone. You know? Because, and my dad knew this, when we would go Camping, you would put that nail down and you'd nail it so that tent stays, doesn't go anywhere. You know what he says? Wisdom is like that. When you start wandering off the path, God goads you. Whoa! Get you back on track. But, but life throws at you all kinds of uncertainties and problems and puzzles and frustrations and God says, let me just make you secure. Let me just nail it all down so you don't wander and want. No, no, no. This is right. I need to be right here right now. God is here. I don't understand it, but God is here. He is for me in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and there, there's, there's a kind of a security that comes there, doesn't it? Isn't there? God, God doesn't give us his word to make us miserable. Is his word because we get the opportunity to know him. And so he says, when you stray, I'll get your attention. And when the steps are uneasy and you're not sure, I'll nail it all down. And you can bank your life on the truth of my word. It is a nail in the ground for good. The tent will not blow away if you remember that. Beautiful words.
be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Now, is he telling us we should be a bunch of isolated hermits and have no contact with the world around us? Of course not. But you know what he is telling us? He's telling us this. The foundation of what I do and how I live needs to come from God's word. Not from a talk show host. Not from a morning whatever newscast. And, and, well, I can't do those things. Well, of course you can, but you know what you need to do? You need to always make sure that the glasses through which you see all those events is the unchanging wisdom of God's word. Do you see? So that becomes the foundation. That's the sieve through which I see everything. So, so I, don't want to, I don't want to replace God's truth. Neither do I want to displace God's truth with things that are a waste of my time. And I can do both. Doesn't mean you shouldn't read. I mean, I think I read all the time. I read more than I want to. Um, but, but, but I need to. But when I read, I need to read with the glasses on. And I need to be able to evaluate and say, no, no, that's wrong. No, that, that it completely. That's really helpful, actually. That makes me think of, see the difference? And when I get up in the morning, the first thing that should arouse my soul should not be, hey, I wonder who emailed me last night or, you know, what's on Facebook or blah, blah, blah. I, I don't even keep up with all the apps anymore. I, I've given up on that, you know. There's so many of them, you know. People, hey, Dr. Finkbarner, have you thought about this? No, I didn't even know it was available, you know. I'm, this is a great app too, you know, all these app, app things. Now, and I'm not opposed to any of that stuff as long as it's subordinate to what is most important. Don't allow those things to just displace this and don't allow those things to go uncritically analyzed by this. Both are critical to our lives, folks. And if we live like that, there will be a security to our life in a world that is completely unsettled. So, he says... Embrace that. Because there, there's nothing better than that. And now, in embracing it, this is how I want you to respond. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the whole matter. So here's the big takeaway. God's wisdom can be trusted and lived by, therefore, right? See? Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. And now, my, 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 I have the NIV. My NIV says, for this is the duty of all mankind. Literally in the Hebrew, it says this. For this, and you could supply the word is, for this is the whole of humanity. And it gets confusing. What does that mean? Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole of humanity. I think what he's talking about is, this is the essence of who you are. So what does it mean to be human? 
Like, what is, what is the, the essence that, and, and what is it that we're supposed to be doing in life? You know what it's all, it's all about? It's all about God. It's all about him. So you fear him and you submit to his word and his will and his commandments and everything. Why? Because at the end of the day, that's who you are. That's who you were designed to be. Fear God. Does that mean I should run around in crippling terror all the time? Like, <laughs> or does it mean that I take God seriously for who he truly is? Now, he is the sovereign God above all, majestic above all, holy and pure, and I can never devaluate, devalue that in any way. And so part of it is realizing I live before that God. But I also live before a God who desires a relationship with me. And the ultimate expression of that has come in the person of his son. And I can take that seriously too. So that all of my life is, God, I want to take serious who you are in all of your fullness. That means I cannot be nonchalant, I can't be nonchalant in my relationship with you, but on the other hand, I am endeared to you because of who you are. It's all of that at the same time. So that all of my life is lived in such a way that God, you are God. And I, I get to serve you because I'm one of your children now because of Jesus. Thank you for that. Even in this really difficult situation. So the writer says, look, look, look. God has established this, this foundation of wisdom for you. His wonderful word. We see it in Ecclesiastes. We see it more broadly. The most important thing you can do in life, folks, is take God seriously. It may be that you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. It may be that you, you know, you've done some, you even know some God talk. Who knows? I don't know. You talk about God some and in desperation, you may even call out to him, which is wonderful. For you to take God seriously, you know what that means? That means for you to read this book, reading where it's ultimately going, reading about God who has sent his son to forgive you of all of your sins. And for you to take God seriously means for you to say, God, I could never win your approval. It's impossible, I'm a sinner. Your son has died for me. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. That's taking God seriously. And that's also bringing you into the family of God for the first time. So that God is not just some idea. He's a real person in your life. It's relational. It's personal. And the writer gets to the end. Why live life? Unbeliever, why live life as if there's no God? It's a complete, you were never meant to live that way. No, come to know him. And if you know him, don't live your whole life with God constantly goading you. Walk with him, and as you walk with him, know the beauty and security that comes of walking with him even in the midst of a storm. I've never been in the eye of a hurricane. 
but they tell me it's peaceful. Now, everything around you is stirring like crazy, but in the eye, it's peaceful. And God says, I want my people to be in the eye of that storm so all that stuff is swirling around, but there can be peace. I mean, that's, that's what he wants for us. And he says, so take me seriously. Don't be flippant with me. Don't, don't put me off. Talk to me. Read about me. Cry out to me. Pray to me. Talk to others about me. Find encouragement about me from others. Just, like, be obsessed with me. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Well, Pastor Doug, if you knew the woman I'm married to, or if you knew the guy I'm married to, or Pastor Doug, if you knew the parents I have, <laughs> that doesn't change your responsibility to walk before the God who is for you, who is over you, and obey him regardless of what those around you do. Doesn't change any of that. We were in Sunday school today. James was talking about the heart. It's never too late to come out to Sunday school, incidentally, anyway. We meet. There's two of them meeting. We'd love to have you come next week. Um, James is continuing on the heart in our class. And I'm not sure what the theology guys are doing, but it's all really good, too, I'm, I'm sure. So you can come to either one. Um, but anyway, however I got off on that. But... but I have to watch rabbit trails. I find the older I get when I go off on rabbit trails, I forget where I started. Did you, Tim, do you have that problem? No, 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 I don't. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, in this passage, so what, what, what he's saying is, wherever you find yourself, God says the beauty of the gospel is it, it, it allows you to grow in your relationship with God <clears throat> regardless of what goes on around you or how people respond to you, or whatever. In that sense, it frees you, doesn't it? So he says, if you take me seriously, then even when it's hard, obey me. Do what I've said. Because that shows that you are a man or woman or boy and girl that is committed to what is most important. And the reason you should do that, he says in this passage, is twofold. The first one I've already mentioned. Because you were designed to know and live for the true and living God. This is the whole of humanity. Say, so what's it all about? It's right there. It's to know the true and living God and walk with him. Doesn't matter what goes on around you. Doesn't matter what people are saying. I mean, it hurts and it matters. It matters. I don't, it does matter. But it doesn't matter most. What matters most is God. Live out your design. There's a really interesting passage over in Luke chapter 14. Jesus is talking about discipleship. Um, and in that passage, um, I just had this terrible thought. I never dismissed the kids for junior church. Like, did, did, did they go out? They went, all right, all right. That's a terrible thing. Just, okay. Because <laughs> if you want to slip out now, it's okay. I won't take offense. <laughs> but if I think you're like 35 years old and you're walking out that door, I'm going to stop you. No, no, no. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. Anyway, sorry. Luke chapter 14. 
Jesus is giving this impassioned plea about discipleship and following him. He gives a series of parables and so forth. But in the midst of that, he makes this really interesting statement. He says, if the salt has lost its savor, what good is it? And I would argue that what he's saying there in that passage, if people forget who they were created to ultimately be through Jesus Christ, they have completely lost their savor. We are called to walk with the true and living God. Anything else will bring us up short every time. So that's one reason. Fear God, submit to him, because it's the way you were designed to be. But secondly, because you stand accountable to God. Tim mentioned it last week, and it's again woven through the book, book of Ecclesiastes. It's so interesting to me. It's so interesting to me. A guy who is talking about things under the sun and very focused on the here and now, he knows we die and there's something after, but it's all kind of fuzzy. It's interesting to me how often in the midst of this book he says, I don't know how this is all going to work out exactly, but God is just. Sometimes you see it in our day, Sometimes you don't. But it's going to somehow work out. So it's a little fuzzy for him. It's not fuzzy when you get to the New Testament, folks. God will say again and again things like, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ in order that everybody will receive the things that they have done in their body, whether good or not so good. Now, if you're a Christian who knows Jesus Christ... When you stand before Christ, the issue will not be, hmm, nah, yeah, you can go to heaven, nah, not you. No, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the final verdict on my home after I die is completely settled. It's brought into the, into the present. I have been declared the final declaration of God is now true of me right now because I know Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And so the word that the scripture will use is you've been declared righteous. You don't have to wait till the end. You get it now because you know Christ. But if you're a believer, there, there is a judgment for those that are lost at the end of the age, folks. And you say, well, I don't like people talking about that. That's scary. It's true. And all the injustices and things you see about this ruler and that ruler and Adolf Hitler and all the people. Look, God is going to make everything right one day, folks. Be a scary time for those that don't know Christ. But there's judgment. And if they don't know Christ, it's not so that some of them get into heaven. It's just the degrees of where they find themselves in hell. I hate to say it's true. It's true. So there's a final judgment and the writer cries out and says, live life before me because it's the way I designed you as your creator God. And you stand accountable to me. If you never trust my son, you for all eternity, you'll be separated from God and all the goodness. That's a sad story, but it's true. And if you do know Christ, You'll stand before God, not whether you're in or out. 
but how you stewarded the life that he gave you. And Paul uses the imagery, there's some people, it's like everything they've done will be burned, but they will be saved, yet so is by fire. And that will not be a pleasant moment as you stand before the one who's loved you. Can you imagine when we stand before God and all the things we kind of thought and knew and believed are like, holy mackerel, completely. And in that moment, some of us are gonna say like, what was I thinking when I was on earth? Like, don't wait till then. You'll stand before God, and I want to hear, don't you want to hear God say, because we've allowed his spirit to work in our hearts, well done, good and faithful servant. So the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I don't know how it all gets worked out, but people are accountable to God. And when you read your New Testament, you find how it all gets worked out. So what's the bottom line here? At the end of the day, take God seriously, submit to his word continually because we're accountable to God and his wisdom is both true and transformative. That's the big takeaway, I think, from this chapter and the big takeaway from the book. If you hear everything else that you've heard, come away saying, God, I want all my life to be centered on you and on nothing else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that all of wisdom is ultimately found in Jesus Christ, as you tell us in Colossians 2. Lord, for anyone that's here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they bow the knee before the God that they take seriously. May they ask Christ to be their Lord and Savior and allow him to begin the process of changing their lives, knowing that they are completely forgiven of all of their sins. What a wonderful story. And we can take you seriously on that story. And Father, for believers here today, trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but Father, it's easy for us to wander. We need you to goad us, Lord. We need you to give us security. We need you to reorient us to the fact that what makes the most, the best way to live is to take you seriously and do whatever you say. If you say it, we just need to do it. God, will you do that good work in our lives? Will you even now through your spirit bring to each of our consciousness the very areas in which those things need to happen? Whether it's home or at work or at church, in the neighborhood, with extended family. I, I don't know. Would you put your finger on that and say, I want you to know me and follow me there, for that is wisdom living. 
God, if you'll do that good work in our lives, we will be eternally grateful to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Folks, can I just give you one final appeal before we sing? After the service, if God is touching your heart, um, he's doing it because he wants you to do something. Would you, would you reach out to one of us? Pastor Tim is here. I'm here. Pastor James is here. Our elders are all here. There's all, so many brothers and sisters in Christ that are wise and mature. Would you grab somebody and say, will you pray with me? I need help. We would love to do that with you. If God's working in your heart, we want you to give, have an opportunity to say something. And we want to minister to you. God bless. Would you guys... Uh... Stand and sing our closing song with us.
for your power, for your love, for your forgiveness, for Jesus coming and dying and rising again for us. Help us, especially this week and always, Lord, to be salt and light, that when we're around people that don't know you, that they would see something different. We have hope that they don't have. Lord, so I thank you for you did conquer the grave, and we have much to be praising you for. Thank you for the hope that we have because of you. In your name, amen. 